Let's talk. Let's go for it. Okay. Did you see where people were like flipping out about her postponing that concert and were like mad? Yeah. And I'm like, I saw that. The way they were acting and the fact that they found her hotel and were outside her hotel found harassing her, her. Found her cars. That, to me, she's a much better person than I am because I would have said, fine, don't postpone it. Cancel it. I know. I don't get it. Because if you're going to act that way, she... Uh, so, this is a woman that I have watched her go through this tour. And she's on stage for three and a half hours. Went to the tour. Watched her. And have just been blown away by the fact that she never once looks winded and then you see these videos of her in Buenos Aires and she looks tired yeah she her back's red her face is red she just looks it's hot yeah it's hit like record high temperatures you know she only has like 0.2 seconds to maybe get a sip of water while she's changing they've probably got fans on her like crazy whenever she's back there but it's freaking hot, and she's out there doing the absolute most, and she just looks drained, and I've not seen her look drained this entire concert, and so if it's that hot, and the venue isn't allowing water, and she's already, there's already been a fan die, and she's postponing it for your safety, and you're going to complain about it? Yeah. That's not only disrespectful to her, like disrespectful to the, like, the girl that died. Yeah, like, my heart, when I found that out, I was so sad, and I've seen the videos of her after Bejeweled, and she, like, turns around, and you can see video, and she, she looks like she can't breathe, because it's so hot, and I'm like, I feel, I felt so bad for her, I was like, oh my gosh, honestly, with the way this tour in Brazil has went, I would not blame her if she left Brazil and never toured there again. She's not coming back to that venue because somebody had already put that too. Somebody had done said like, "Gosh, she ain't coming back here." Not after that, the whole water incident. She's not. And what really grinds my gears is that people automatically went to blame her, and I'm like, "Here's the thing." I'm like, if you want to find somebody to blame, you blame the venue because it's their fault. It is not Taylor's. Like I've seen, I haven't seen anything about them blaming her about the water because she was handing it out the best she could. She was throwing it during all too well. (laughs) Well, security, her security guards were handing it out too, and the people at the venue were telling her security guards to stop. So, the only things I've seen is people complaining about her postponing the concert, and I'm like, she is a much bigger person than I am because I would have just said, "Fine, cancel it. You don't even get it at all. See you later." Yeah. At the way they were acting, no, because you're not. Those are the same fans that probably either grew up with her but stopped liking her when Reputation came out. They're probably those fans, the ones that, mm. like, dropped her after that. And then when she got popular again, they picked her back up. Or they're fans, they're just new fans and they just don't get it. Like, it's so disrespectful. It's mm-hmm. so disrespectful. Yeah, I've been like... Like, there's been tons of people who have been, like, genuinely worried for her safety. And she so looks, have I. She just looks... It, I've never seen her look that, like, beaten. And... No. It's it's kind of heart-wrenching to watch the videos of her. I feel so bad. And then for a fan to die at a concert because of lack of water and because of high temperatures, she postpones so that doesn't happen again. And people are complaining about I can't it. Even ima- I can't even imagine how she felt when she found that out i well and the fans that have been complaining about the postponing like i really want to look at them and say okay um 
go up on that stage. I want you to dance and sing around for three and a half hours. Then let me know what your feelings are. In a hundred degree weather. Then let me know what your feelings are. Let me know what you think then. Yeah. Because, like, it's not just for her. She's got dancers. She's got musicians. She's got singers to worry about. She's got fans to worry about. Yeah. I just, it makes me so infuriated. I was so mad about that. I was like, I would not go back. I wouldn't, I wouldn't postpone it. I would cancel it and say, bye. Okay. Yeah, because isn't this, aren't these dates the last... And they haven't said when they're moving it to, so I'm assuming it'll probably be at the end of the concert, at the end of the tour sometime, or some random date, something. Yeah. I don't think they, I don't think she, unless it was last night, but I, what? I, I don't know. The postponed. I think last night was the postponed show, I because I think she played, because I'm going to segue here, because she played, because I saw people were flipping out, like she played So It Goes. And she played mm-hmm. something else. And now everybody's flipping out because the only song left for Reputation is I Did Something Bad. So it goes would have been good to hear live. I was so mad because I found out she did Dancing With Our Hands Tied, which that is my favorite song on Reputation. I think it is super underrated. And she did it on guitar. I'm like, why well, would have given anything to hear that live? King of My Heart is my favorite. Um, Mine is Dancing With Our Hands Tied, So It Goes, and This Is Why We Can't Have Nice Things. <laughs> King of My Heart is my favorite. We listened to it when we were pulling into the venue that was playing. Like, I had it turned up. Yeah. Um, anyways, it's just infuriating to watch all the people complaining. Like, find something better to do. Yeah. What? Um. Should we? <laughs> hold on. Hello. Hello. Uh, Hallie and I are recording this podcast. (laughs) (laughs) You're live with Carmen and Hallie. (laughs) (laughs) Good night, everybody. Well, we'll be done here in about maybe an hour, so I can call you when we're done, if that's okay. 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 She said bye. Bye! (laughs) Bye. (laughs) I love her. (laughs) I love Cassidy. That was the best friend okay um the the best friend oh need to get things together here do you want me to start because mine's not that long that's fine okay so obviously the most important thing in this catch-up is me carmen carly and emily went to the movie theater and saw the ballad of songbirds and snakes (sighs) i'm gonna cry I don't, like, I don't even know where to start because I, it's been a long time since I've felt this way. Like, when we left the theater, 
I immediately wanted to like turn around, go back in and watch it again. I want to go back and see it in 40X so badly. God, could you imagine? I want to go see it in 40X like, so badly. It's been a long time since a movie has made me feel that way. So like, in, like as soon as it was over, I wanted to watch it again. So I, if you go to 40X, I probably want to go with you because. Well, they had to drag me out of my seat. Yeah. It was very, very good. I loved every single second of it. Listen, say what you want about Rachel Zegler, but my girl can sing. <laughs> um, <laughs> it was very good. Listen, I, I have things to say, but they can wait till my I know side of the update. I may wait until yours, but um, yeah, very good. Ten out of ten. Would go watch it again. Um, I will go watch it again. <laughs> I will go watch it again. Yes. Um. Got some heartbreaking news that Shadow and Bone was canceled. R.I.P. I'm so like it's not. I understand. I'm okay with the Shadow and Bone being canceled. I'm really upset that they canceled Six of Crows spin off. on the Six of Crows spin off. I think that's what people were really. That's what people are. That's what about. people are mad about. Because why would you cancel the one thing that everybody's wanted? Yes, and here's the thing. The Shadow and Bone show was good, but let's be real. Everybody watched it for the crows. You for the crows and Ben Barnes. Yeah. I will keep that. I will put that, that in there. Beautiful boy. Everyone watched it for the crows. And the fact that when everybody... And the fact that you canceled the one thing that made that show popular... Exactly. Makes people mad. And what breaks my heart even more is seeing the the cast's well, response to it. Like, seeing Freddie Carter's post. And Ugh. I don't think they got the response they wanted out of season two. But the bad thing about it is, is if they would have just done the Six of Crows spinoff, fans would have showed up tenfold for that. Oh, gosh, yeah. I think season two, a lot of people didn't come back because if you're just die hard for the books, then you probably didn't like the show. Um, I'm so not. Probably, there's probably a lot of people that didn't come back for season two, but they would have showed back up for Six of Crows. And there's already, everybody's already, like, putting out a petition for, like, to, for it to get picked up by another network. And They may, I mean, but I don't know. That stuff is a losing battle. I mean, look at Julie and the Phantoms. That's all I ever see is people wanting that show back, and they still have yet. Movie, whatever. And um, same with when Shadowhunters got canceled. Everybody want there was a, a huge petition going around for Netflix to put that thing up. <laughs> I stopped watching after episode one. <laughs> and here's the thing, like, I am not, I liked the books, but I wouldn't necessarily say I'm a diehard for the Shadow and Bone trilogy. And I loved, I loved the show. Don't ask me, people. Um, I just, I was just so sad to see it go because, like, that's what I'm looking, oh, I was looking forward to it because I liked the show better than the core trilogy because I think yeah. it gave us what we all... It needed. it was more of a fix it for it was a fan service. Yeah. And yeah, I was really sad about that. Um well, it's upsetting because I am a little bit upset about the Shadow and Bone portion being canceled because they didn't end Mal and Alina where they were supposed to be ended. No. They did not end Zoya and Nikolai where they're supposed to be ended. Mm-mm. You have some rocky terrain with an edge not being where she's supposed to be. Yeah. And Nina and, uh... Matthias. Uh, Matthias. I almost called him Malik. And that's not correct. Nope. You're um, still thinking Shadowhunters. I'm literally thinking Shadowhunters. Um, 
but yeah, it ended. I it ended. They canceled it way too early because like I they just should have at least given it the six crust spinoff. I yeah, they should have. I don't care if you would have canceled. I don't care if you canceled Shadow and Bone. I care when you canceled Six of Crows because I'm like, you've got the hype for it. I'm pretty sure they almost had a script. And I think they did. They had a script. And I'm like, at least I'm like, Netflix, you just made probably the dumbest decision when you canceled Six of Crows. Imagine how many more views you would have gotten. Well, then they canceled Fate and everybody's been petitioning for that to come back. Canceled Lockwood and Company. Oh, I'm still upset. I rewatched that this weekend because I finally, like, read the books that are season one. So I watched the uh, show again this weekend. Book three is missing because it's on my bed because I finished the show and went, oh, I've got to read book three because it's so close to the books. Like, I don't know what they canceled it for. Yeah. Lack of viewership because they're kind of like, I didn't know those books existed before the show came on. But the show did such a good job, and I just wish we could have yeah. carried on. Um, speaking of book adaptations, we got the trailer, full-blown trailer, for Percy Jackson and the Olympians. I said it to my wife. I'm I watched it yet. <laughs> so excited. It looks so much like the books. I'm so happy, considering the movies were garbage. I'm still waiting on the Bridgerton season I know. trailer. I know. Which, Jonathan Bailey, who plays Anthony, he was in an interview recently and said that when the trailer drops, he thinks that we'd all be surprised at how quick the turnaround will be for the air date. And he said something about, like, the trailer could drop and the air date could be four weeks after that. So, I guess there's a potential that when the trailer officially comes out, four weeks from when the trailer drops, we'll have the season. And that's so, like, it gives me so much anxiety. I'm waiting for that trailer to drop. Um, and then finally, I, me and mom took an impromptu trip to the mall on Sunday because I've been needing some sweaters that are a little bit longer because all the ones that I have are from Alter State and they're all cropped. And I can get away with them at church if I wear high-waisted jeans, but not all the time. So I went to Hollister and they had, I got two sweaters, um, they were on sale for $25, and I also got a flannel, been, come out of there real successful. She's just honing up to her Sam Winchesterism. I really, and it's, gr- and then what makes it worse, the flannel's gray, so. You're Sam. <laughs> um, but yeah, it was like, the sweaters were $25, and we had, like, two $5 rewards thing. I walked out of there with three items for $72. Which, if I didn't have that stuff, it would have been a lot worse. So, yeah. Really excited about that. Carmen, your turn. Okay, we're going to start small. We'll, 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 we'll work up to we'll the big... We'll work up to the big finale. Um. So, I was just telling Hallie before we started that I started a new beta read for one of my friends from MuggleNet, so that's exciting. Um, I also went and got my nails done this week, and I got a facial this week, so that was nice. Um, I've moved offices at work, so that's been interesting to figure out, and I'm in a new building, so it's like I'm having to figure out where the printer is, and like where the fridge is to put my stuff, like it's, it's a whole new learning curve. Um, 
like Hallie said, <laughs> the Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes came out this weekend. Um, I left them in the dust when we got out of the car at the movie theater. <laughs> they were laughing because I was zooming to the theater from Chili's. Donning your Katniss shirt and your Mockingjay pins. Yes, and I found some fellow OG fans that were complimenting me on my shirt, so that was nice. Um, we sat on the, like, where the bar is to put your feet up, because I wanted to sit as close as possible. And then... <laughs> it was a transformative experience. So, I remember seeing all the original movies in theaters. I remember having to stand in line to wait for them to clean out the theater from the movie previous to yours so you could go in and get as good a seat as you could get because there wasn't reserved seatings back then and you would get to the theater super early and try to be in the line and like ahead of the line as much as possible so you could get a good seat and the line would wrap out the door for all the movies it was a huge deal. People were in costume. People were in side braids and fake bow and arrows. I was in a leather jacket and combat boots and a t-shirt. Like, it was just the thing to do. I um, miss that era. This <laughs> era, like, the Hunger Games was what Harry Potter was for a lot of people in the early 2000s. Like, going to book releases and movie premieres dressed up and, like, just absolutely going bonkers. That was the Hunger Games for me. And... So, when we sat down in the theater, when the movie started playing, as soon as the Lionsgate promo came up, Emily looks over at me and starts laughing because I literally was crying. <laughs> it's not even started yet. <laughs> and there's just, if you are a fan of the movies, if you are a fan of the books, Go see this one. Francis Lawrence and Nina Jacobson did it for us again, guys. They matched it, like, quite literally page for page. It was such a beautiful adaptation. My favorite thing of the whole movie, I'm a big film score person. I love when a movie has good film scores. I listen to film scores a lot. Um, and if you are a film score fan and you're a fan of the movies, the original movies, some film scores from this will be quite familiar. There was a lot of, it wasn't reusing film scores, it was their own film scores, but they would be like a trace of a tune from the old film scores. So, for instance, in Catching Fire, at the beginning of Catching Fire, there is a film score that plays while Katniss is like overlooking the mountain ridge, and it's called Katniss. Mm -hmm. And when... Lucy mentions that that plant by the river is called Katniss. The music that plays in the background, the film score, is that film score. Is the first bit of that film score. And then it goes into a new one. But um, that it's the little things like that for me. And then... The ending? <laughs> at one point, whenever somebody is in the arena, I won't say who if you've not read the books, um, they look over onto the rocks where all the weapons were kept and there's a bow and arrows laying there. So, I like the little the little nods. It wasn't so much like for example, the Fantastic Beast movies. They just constantly added in Harry Potter Easter eggs. It was fan service like in your face in and those movies. This was done so subtly that you'd have to really clock it 
to notice it. Yeah, because I noticed, because I noticed the bow and arrow, but I never said anything, because I was like, well, who knows. But then you mentioned it, and I was like, aha. Because it was so subtle, and it was such a quick look, that it was just a subtle nod to it, and I love it. And then obviously, you know, we get to see the creation of the Hanging Tree song, which is then passed down through generations, and known as a song that was sung in the districts and you know Katniss sings it later but um and then yeah the ending the film score that's playing in the background as he's standing there was from one of the Mockingjay movies and also from the Hunger Games because it's like the main tune is from the film score Searching for Peta and it's just it was such like as a tried and true I Blade the Hunger Games fan. This was fan-freaking-tastic. However, I have seen that some, a lot of people have been saying, I like this better than any of the original Hunger Games movies. Still gonna disagree on you there. Like, Catching Fire is the end-all be-all. But... I saw somebody that said this has been the best Hunger Games movie since Catching Fire. I'm like, oh, so we're still gonna acknowledge. Catching Fire is the best movie. But, uh, yes, because My Roman Empire is the way that in Catching Fire it goes from widescreen to full screen. <laughs> wow. Um, but, yeah, if you're a fan of The Hunger Games at all, go see this movie if you haven't already. It's beautifully done. Um, and I don't care what y'all say. I never once in the theater sat and questioned my morals by thinking, gosh, she looks good. No. My love for PETA runs way too deep that the entire time I was just like, I want to kill this man. Don't do it, Lucy. Don't do it, Lucy. Because I knew how it ended. And, like, because obviously I read the book. But, and then you've got the Hunger Games, so you know where it ends up. Yeah. Um, honestly, I didn't think he was good looking until I got home and started seeing the edits. <laughs> and even then, I am not associating him with Kralina Snow at all. That no. Is Tom Blythe. Because I will never once in my life ever even let a thought cross my mind that President Snow looks good because that man is trash. Yeah, I kept saying like, I'm like, the actor and the character are separate. And I will say, Tom Blythe did a good job like making him psychotic. Justice for Peta and Finnick. Yeah, for real. Finnick and then killed him. Yeah, I know. I'm still, I was, then, I'm still bitter about that. I love. I will forever be bitter about Peta. I'm a diet. You're a Peta girl. I'm a Finnick girl. <laughs> the way the things, I just, oh, I want to slaughter that man. So yeah, they were laughing at me because Lucy sings a song called um, "Pure as the Driven Snow." <laughs> and the minute she sang the main chorus line, "Pure as the Driven Snow," I smacked my head, my hand to my forehead, and they were all looking at me and laughing. Because, stop it. (laughs) No. We will not romanticize him. I will say, though, it was kind of funny because we we live in Tennessee. And so when they were doing Nothing You Can Take from me, and I was like, this just sounds like something that I would hear. So I've always said that Mystery Mine at Dollywood is my favorite ride at Dollywood (laughs) because it reminds me of The Hungry Games. And Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes proved my thought process for everybody. Because the way the music is for District 12 and Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes is how I always imagined the aesthetic music for for District 12 to be. It's folksy. There's banjo. 
Because isn't District 12, and also District 12 is mining, and it looks, in Battle of Songbirds, it looks like a mining city. It is. I know. And. Mystery Mine is a mine? No. District 12 is a mining city. I know, that's what I'm talking about. (laughs) I know, but you kind of did an Alex Astor there. District 12 is mining, so it looks like a mining city. No, I'm just thinking in Battle of Songbirds and Snakes, it looks more like what I picture District 12 to look like as a mining city than in the Hunger Games. I mean, it doesn't look that different. The only thing that's different is being inside that bar and you're getting to see like the Capitol Barracks side of things. But yeah, um, the music to me and like the community is what I always imagine. It's very Appalachian. The aesthetic of District 12 to be. And it's kind of... It's really sad because the events of Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes is why District 12 isn't like that anymore. Sad day. <laughs> because the theory is that eventually the Covey did just, like, join her and said, see you later. They bolted. <laughs> said, nope, no more. Later. Um... I just, I don't know. Everything was just so beautifully done, and I have no complaints about it at all. The acting was incredible. Shout out to Tom Blythe, because (laughs) he really did the thing. He played a character that I cannot stand in a way that made me genuinely curious, because he would get looks in his eye that you're just like, ooh, yep, I know what you're thinking about, buddy boy. And... Just, he like, just did such a great job with the character. Like that whole last few, like the whole final act of the movie. I'm thinking, and he's like going off on like his psychotic break. I'm like, I feel like I'm invading something, like intruding. Watching his journey was incredible, and like seeing how he is the man that he is today. And like I said, Tom just played him amazingly. And Hunter Schaefer is Tigress' best casting choice. Somebody, I saw something on TikTok today that said. And I, I don't guess I ever, like, really even thought that far into it, like, enough to register that that is what we're seeing. So, The Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes is all through Snow's point of view. So, like, that's why the thing with Lucy at the end is such a huge mystery is because we'll never know because Snow doesn't know. Mm-hmm. And all this is through his eyes. So, that's why you never once follow Lucy. You're always following Snow, and the only time, even in the games, the only time you see Lucy and you're with her is when he's watching her on the camera. You never see her like by herself in the games when he's not watching her in the games. So like everything is through his point of view, and everything is just so skewed. But like the thing I like the most about this one is that you do get, we do finally get the capital side of things. Whereas you've yeah. always just gotten the district side of things. So now you kind of get to see what the capital's like and how their thought process works. And just like seeing the barracks and stuff I thought was cool. Because um, that's obviously a set we didn't get to see in the, in the Hunger Games. Um, honestly, the best character of the whole movie. Shout out to Lucky Flickerman. I know. That man was bringing it home. I love him. The moment he canceled his dinner reservations because these Hunger Games are going to run too long. <laughs> I love him. And then he said, and remember, if your tribute dies, get out. <laughs> and then, we don't have vents in there. We don't have cameras in those vents, but we sure will but next we year. Will next year. And just... <laughs> it I, was the most, like... He, so he had the best one-liners. You're just like... 
still nothing beats still nothing be i laughed my butt off when snow is sending the drones in with the water and the other girl goes you can't attack the tributes and he just says so casually i'm just sending water i'm like he's thirsty dang it (laughs) i was like seen with the snakes gave me Ew, that's my worst nightmare. No, not in that way. It's just like her singing, and it's just there's no music backing her up. It's just her just voice crawling. And just her voice is beautiful, and it just gave me so much goosebumps. Somebody had pointed out in a TikTok too, and I don't think I've ever thought about it this way either. A lot of people see Lucy and they think of Katniss, but honestly, they're so different. Lucy is a performer in a hunt. Katniss is a hunter in a performance. Yeah. I've because seen when that. Katniss goes into the game, she's like, okay, I got my bow and arrow. I'm not here to play. Like, let's go. And Lucy's just trying to freaking survive. Yeah. But yeah, the the scenes with the snakes was great. And then when, what's his face, when he tore down the Capitol flag and everybody gasped, I was like, well, and I was like, it's like, Heck yeah. I over to Emily. I was like, well, hell, if I wasn't about to die, I'd be like, what are they going to do? I'm like, you're already in there. It's kind of like Joanna whenever she's like yelling and blessing out the Capitol and the games and catching fire. And she's like, I mean, there's nobody else left I love. What, what else are they going to do? I'm already in here. Yeah. Like, same. <laughs> her, yeah. Oh. Her interview he is so funny. about that ill deal. He's walking tuberculosis on legs <laughs> i was like that's not funny <laughs> it's not funny but uh... oh it reminded me of supernatural also oh, me yes the movie carly goes slinging into carly's react so i sat next to carly in the theater and she goes when they're when they get dumped out into the zoo she goes where are they at and i told carly i said they're in the zoo and she goes that is what <laughs> Like, garbage. I was like, honestly, when that one girl got killed, I was like, no, you deserve it. That was funny. <laughs> you are trash. I said, did that- you know that the guy who plays Sejanus and Rachel Ziegler are dating in real life? They've like been together. Yeah, I've for seen years. I've seen that. I had no idea. I thought that was cool. That's kind of funny cool. considering when you put that into context with the movie. <laughs> I, think, I thought it was cute. I was like, how adorable that is. I didn't know that. Um, no, yeah. Complaints or there's none. I mean, casting oh. beautiful, film scores beautiful, directors viewpoint beautiful, costuming great. <sighs> it was also good, so good. I've been listening to the soundtrack on repeat because they have the disco stomp on there. Mm-hmm. But the old there before. Is the song she's singing when there's the snakes? That's my favorite. I love that song. It's oh, yeah. so good. Yeah, I was listening. <laughs> I was listening to "Pure as the Driven Snow" and I was like, <laughs> honestly, my favorite thing about the whole thing was honestly we were 30 minutes into this podcast episode. Um, all of this is probably gonna be cut. Well, the rev- well, no, the reviews are usually quick. We never really say anything. Just so um, so last thing, um. My favorite part of the whole movie experience was the fact that a scary movie by Bloomhouse <laughs> previewed beforehand, and you could tell not a single person in that theater signed up for that. Because every time there would be a jump scare, like, in the trailer, you would hear everybody go, oh! And, and so no, like, what was funny, though, was that at the fan. very end of the trailer, the bear 
start the guy standing along the hallway the bear starts moving this and is how you can tell everybody going, oh no this is how you can tell everybody in the audience was around our age you hear oh heck no you're just like nobody in that movie signed up for that trailer no it was so funny and people were laughing i was just like nah at one point the house whatever house that the trailer is in is on fire and you can see the bear's ear outline and i told emily i imagine it being like that elmo meme (laughs) 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 with the fire button oh that was funny (laughs) that one got me i cracked myself up on that one that was a good one okay so Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Family Fiction with Hallie. And Carmen. And today, we are going to be wrapping up our review on the... I'm having a stroke. The Inheritance Um, Games. We are wrapping up our reviews on the Inheritance Games trilogy with the final gambit. But before we get into that, Carmen, what are you currently reading? Well, all you cool cats and kittens, you know, <laughs> I've channeled, there's a girl at my work that says that all the time. I guess it's based off the Tiger King. Anyways, um, <laughs> so as usual, I'm listening to an audiobook and reading a physical book. Um, so for my audiobook, I'm listening to Harry Potter and the Half-Blood Prince, which I'm like declaring now. No more back and forth for me. Half-Blood Prince is my favorite. It has all the hairy sass. It has my favorite hairy one-liner where (laughs) Snake says, sir, like corrects Harry and says, sir, like you're supposed to call me sir. And Harry goes, there's no need to call me sir, Professor. Harry will do. (laughs) Oh, it's the best. And just all the stuff with Dumbledore and just Slughorn and... Did you get that Dumbledore slander video I sent you? <laughs> um, so this is Half Blood Prince is my favorite. I love Half Blood Prince. The book is amazing. My favorite movie is still Order of the Phoenix, but book wise, Half Blood Prince, Golden Set, Game Set Match. Nothing left to say. Um, so I'm about halfway through that right now. And then my physical book is An Endless Escape by Caven Hearning, which is the second book in the Forbidden Fate trilogy i think she's gonna do a trilogy it's a series but i think it's gonna be a trilogy um just started it so i'm not very far into it like maybe two or three chapters um but like i said earlier i rewatched lockwood and company this weekend and because i finally read the first two books which is what season one is and it's really made me want to start book three so there is a large part of me fighting the urge to not be reading three books at once <laughs> Are you going to pull a me like I used to do in school, five books at one time? Because I really want to start the third Lockwood and Company book, and I don't know what to do. So I just need to, uh, but I don't want to stop reading An Endless Escape. So that's where I'm at in life. Um, so right now I'm reading An Endless Escape, but if I end up just tandem reading the heck out of the other two, we'll see. Um, but yeah. Hello? Um, so mine has not changed. Um, I'm still trucking my way through Iron Flame by Rebecca Yaros. Um, I'm, uh, I'm gonna try and finish it tonight, so I will desire your prayers. (laughs) 
Um, Good luck with that. I know. It's... I'm dreading it because you said it give you a massive bunk hangover and I'm not... Oh, very badly. Ugh. So... Yeah. I'm pretty sure after I finish it, I'm probably gonna have to move on to, like, move back to a romance book. Probably gonna move back to Twisted Hate. It gave me a worse book hangover than Empire Storms. Oh, no. I think the last time I had a really severe book hangover was Kingdom of Ash. But Empire of Storms was pretty bad, so... Yeah, good luck with that. Yeah. All right. So, now that that's out of the way, let's get into our discussion, which is going to be a review of The Final Gambit by Jennifer Lynn Barnes. Would you like me to read the summary? Sure thing. That's my mother laughing, (laughs) if you can hear that. Um, okay. So... To inherit billions, all Avery Kylie Grams has to do is survive a few more weeks living in Hawthorne House. The paparazzi are dogging her every step. Financial pressures are building. Danger is a fact of life. And the only thing getting Avery through it all is the Hawthorne brothers. Her life is intertwined with theirs. She knows their secrets and they know her. But as the clock ticks down to the moment when Avery will become the richest teenager on the planet, trouble arrives in the form of a visitor who needs her help, and whose presence in Hawthorne House could change everything. It soon becomes clear that there is one last puzzle to solve, and Avery and the Hawthorne brothers are drawn into a dangerous game against an unknown and powerful player. Okay, so... As always, our recaps are off of Recaptions website. It's going to be linked below like usual. Um, so, we start out. Avery has been living in Hawthorne House for almost one year now. She has six weeks to go before she meets the requirement set by Tobias Hawthorne. And when she does, she will inherit his money and businesses. You know, just my dream life. Um, the Hawthorne siblings are split up. Grayson is studying at Harvard, and Jameson is at the family villa in Tuscany, searching for information on the disc. Alyssa recommends that Avery puts all her money in a trust fund when she inherits it. (sighs) (laughs) Jameson returns for Avery's birthday. They have an extravagant hot air balloon ride and a picnic together, and then finish off with a helicopter ride and a dance on the beach. My dream! Avery then returns to the manor and finds that her family and friends are throwing her a surprise party. Grayson has also returned for it. I mean, why would she ever doubt wanting to date Jameson? Like, after that. I know, after that extravagant date, I'm like, why are you going back and forth? You have the best brother, in my opinion. Jameson, Grayson lost me at Hawthorne Legacy. <laughs> he lost, yeah. And he, he loses me. And did nothing. And he loses me even more in this book. But we'll get into that. Toby's daughter Eve arrives at Hawthorne the following day. Avery tries to keep her away from Grayson because Eve looks a lot like his ex Emily who died. She gave me bad vibes from the very beginning. As soon as they, as soon as it said that like she looks exactly like Emily, at that point red flags were going off in my head. I'm like, all right, this girl is not to be trusted. Sus. The fact that we have to keep her away from Grayson. Ooh. (laughs) Red flags. Eve reveals that Toby has been abducted. He didn't show up at the place where they were meant to meet. Someone hit Eve over the head and searched her pockets, telling her to forget about Toby before she passed out. Avery assumes the assailant was looking for the disc. 
Avery, Jameson, and Grayson aren't sure whether to believe Eve's story. They consider that she could be tricking them. Side eye if only- I said side eye if only they knew what was going to happen later. (laughs) Avery receives a letter containing a puzzle written on a piece of paper and a gold disc. They solve the puzzle and it reads Avenge, Revenge, Vengeance, and Avenger. So they assume it's from whoever has Toby. The team discuss the meaning behind the puzzle and link it to the fire that Toby started on Hawthorne Island. The fire killed several people from powerful families back in the day. They decide to investigate these families. Avery receives another letter, this time containing a photo of Toby, who has clearly been beaten. The hidden message in this one reads, I will always win in the end. Avery sees Grayson and Eve at the swimming pool together and tells Jameson she is worrying they are becoming too close. Jameson accuses Avery of being jealous because she fancies Grayson. This is still part of the review from Recaptains, which is a bit unnecessary because it's clear that Eve is sus. (laughs) I love it. Alyssa tells Avery that someone has started a smear campaign against her, and they think it could be a previous member of Oren's security team who is providing the information. But to who? Alyssa gives Avery a bag containing a steamer, a towel, a torch, magnetic letters, a USB, and a bit of glass. The bag is from Tobias, and he told Alyssa to get deliver it to a- Avery if Eve ever showed up at Hawthorne. Avery opens the file on the USB and is greeted by white noise. Next, she tries to unscramble the letters, which seem to refer to a move in chess called the Queen's Gambit. Shout out to Anya Taylor-Joy. <laughs> Avery heads to the game room to check out the diamond chess set because, of course, they have one of those. Avery finds a note in one of the queens which reads, Don't breathe. That's not concerning at all. Avery receives yet another package. At this point, she is receiving more mail than a book reviewer. The package contains a locked box. Avery figures out the combination and finds a phone inside. The timer on the phone is counting down, and there's also a note on the calendar app, which says NIV. There's a contact on the phone labeled, Call Me. So Avery does, and speaks to someone called Luke. Luke says something will happen to Toby when the timer has finished. This is one of the puzzles in this book that I did solve. I was like, ooh, NIV. That's a Bible version. Hello. Yes. Um, Thea tells Avery that a photo of Eve at Hawthorne has gone viral, probably to distract Avery from the mission of finding Toby. Thea suggests that NIV could mean the new international version of the Bible. Yep. Avery looks through the Bible and puts some clues together. She calls Luke again, and he tells her to think about three characters, the father, the son who left, and the son who stayed. Avery discusses this with the team, and they work out that that the father is Tobias, but Toby was his only son. They wonder whether Tobias had a secret son or whether the message refers to one of the brother-in-laws. They go to speak to Zara, who has had several husbands. (laughs) She says that her first husband, Christopher, died years ago in an accident. The group wonder if Tobias had siblings and therefore could be one of the sons. They ask Nan, who confirms that Tobias didn't have any siblings. She does tell them that Tobias did awful stuff to start his businesses and make money. The team read through Oren's list of sus people. They find a lot of information on Tobias and people he messed with. Avery notices Eve taking photos of one of the files 
the one about Grayson's father, Sheffield. And I put, at this point, Ave has lost me. She is annoying. Because she kept going like, we need to find Toby. We need to find Toby every, like, five minutes. I'm like, girl. We get it. We get it. We're on it. Shut up. <laughs> Following up on other clues from the bag, Avery heads to the pool. She uses the glass to discover a mosaic on the bottom of the pool, which is actually a chessboard design. Avery uses the queen ga- queen's gambit move and finds a loose tile, which has another package underneath. In the package, there's a photo of three women standing in front of a church. The back says the photo was taken in Margot, France in 1973. The team go down to the wine cellar and they find a bottle of wine from Margot, 1973. They use the steam to lift the label, finding a drawing of a crystal. They realize this is the same as the crystals in one of the chandeliers in the house. They head there and find a message telling them not to trust anyone. Avery thinks this could be in relation to Eve. As we all did. Eve goes to see Mallory and asks her about Toby's father, Liam. Mallory says Liam was much older than her and they were secretly hooking up. When Mallory told him she was pregnant with Toby, Liam left. Avery gets another envelope, which is closed with a seal that matches the design on the disc. This new message says 363-1982. Thea receives a phone call from Luke and tells her there are tracking devices on the phone. Luke tells Avery to look up and Avery finds patent certificates on the wall. The numbers in the envelope correspond with the patent for oil drilling equipment and the two names on it read Tobias Hawthorne and Vincent Blake. The team figure out that Blake was Tobias's boss at one point, and it seems that Tobias filed a patient patent using their ideas and made all the money. Eve goes off to find Blake. Grayson tries to follow, but Avery asks him not to. Jameson locks Avery in a room and goes off with Grayson and Eve. You know, just like strong alpha male energy being exerted. They returned shortly after as they were unable to get into Blake's compound. Xander learns that his father, Isaiah, worked for Blake at one point and now owns a mechanic shop. The team go to ask him questions about Blake and Tobias. At this point, I was like, get me a murder board. Like, I need a whiteboard to put all the strings on. There's so many different plot points. I know. Isaiah says he wanted to fight for custody of Xander, but didn't have the money at the time. He stopped working for Blake when he realized a lot of people around him seemed to die. Isaiah is able to identify the disc as Blake's calling card, giving whoever has it the ability to utilize Blake's fortune. The disc represents one-fifth of the estate and was stolen from Tobias by Toby. Isaiah reveals that Blake had a son called William who disappeared. Avery thinks this is Liam, Toby's father, making Blake Toby's grandfather. They wonder if Eve is working with Blake and also whether Liam was murdered by one of the Hawthorns. At this point, I'm absolutely convinced that Eve is working with them. Also, Grayson defending her all the time. Insert eye roll. (laughs) Avery calls Blake and says she knows who he is. He demands to know what happened to Liam. He wants Liam's remains. The team follow clues in Toby's poem to the Hawthorne Chapel. Avery finds an inscription on the altar, leading her to a puzzle which reveals an empty space behind the altar. In the space, they find a USB drive and a message written by Toby which says, I don't know, I know what you did, Father. Sorry. Eve then loses and points a gun at Avery. (laughs) She reveals she has been helping Blake all along because she wants the disc. 
Orin is able to disarm Eve, and he tells her to leave. And I was like, girl, what? Like, why? What purpose are you going to, what purpose are you trying to achieve by pointing a gun at Avery? Like, it's what? It's as bad as the ending of 365 Days. The second USB stick is used to decode the audio on the first. It's a recording of Tobias in which he talks about Liam Blake's murder and Blake's revenge. He reveals that he chose Avery as the heir because he knew she would become a target and he didn't want to put his own family at risk. <laughs> okay. <laughs> cool. Love being the guinea pig. <laughs> Tobias thought Avery could outmaneuver her opponents. Avery calls Vincent again and asks what she can have in return for Liam's remains. Avery receives a package containing pieces of plastic which she assembles to show a photo of an unconscious Alyssa. Avery and Jameson go to the maze and discover a secret room. They ask Mr. Laughlin for help as he knows the grounds well. Laughlin admits that Liam didn't take the news of Mallory's pregnancy well and they fought. Mallory stole the disc from Tobias and offered it to Liam if he stayed with her. It then disappeared from her bag. It turns out that Tobias knew what Mallory was up to. Mr. Laughlin was also watching the fight go down, and Mallory hit Liam with a brick to defend herself against him. Tobias told Mr. Laughlin to take Mallory, and Tobias buried Liam's body. Rebecca Laughlin takes Avery and Jameson to Liam's remains, which are buried on the grounds. Alyssa calls and says Blake let her go because Grayson turned himself in. Avery calls the police, finally. She tells them about the remains. She then calls her publicist, and she'll provide an exclusive on Liam Blake's murder. She says that Tobias did it so Mallory doesn't get in trouble. Avery heads to Blake's compound. The paparazzi are there, and Avery gives a statement. The guards let Avery in, and she walks in to find Blake, Eve, Grayson, and Toby waiting there. Blake threatens Avery with information on Sheffield Grayson's murder, which was carried out by Eve's sister and covered up by Orm. Avery doesn't want Orrin to get in trouble. She offers Blake a game of chess. Blake counters and says Avery, Eve, and Toby should play a three-way tournament. Toby has to win his matches in order to leave. Otherwise, he must stay and become Toby Blake. Eve has to win in order to get the disc. If Avery wins, Grayson will be released, and Blake will forget about Sheffield Grayson's murder. Toby lets Eve win their first game. Avery beats Toby. Avery lets Eve win, too. Would have, I would have beat her. I would have been like, why? No. Because I hate Eve. I was like, you're going down. Avery once again offers to play against Blake, and if he wins, she will make him the official trustee of the Hawthorne fortune. Avery wins, of course, and Toby escorts Avery and the others out, and he gives Avery a box with a message saying nice things about her and her mother. The Hawthorns host a party to celebrate Avery's anniversary and the inheritance of the fortune. Avery transfers 94% of it to a trust, which will disperse it to charity. She creates a foundation, too. One year later, Avery announces an annual competition for people to win a life-changing amount of money. And thus begins the grandest game. Yes, I'm excited for that one to come out. Yeah, I'm I really to, excited. I still need to read the Brothers Hawthorne. I need to read the Brothers Hawthorne. And I put it at the end, can't wait to read more. <laughs> yes. So, honestly, the final gambit, like, there are parts of it that I forgot about. Like, reading that synopsis. Yeah. There's so many different pieces at play constantly. And, like, I really do need a murder board just to figure this book out sometimes. 
Because honestly, with all of it, it did kind of a little bit overshadow finding out why she got the inheritance. Because up until just now, I really couldn't have told you why she got the inheritance because I couldn't remember because there was too many details to grasp yeah. onto. This book, what I would say is probably the biggest book. And there's like, there's so much going on in it where it's almost kind of confusing at times. You're like, wait, what? Huh? There's so many things being unveiled, so many strings being pulled on, and it just, some of it overshadows, like, I think it's almost too much to follow, but still really good. I seriously want to ask her, like, how do you come up with this? Because (laughs) I would leave plot hole after plot hole after plot hole. (laughs) everything's like so connected together you're like how do you come up with this your notebook has to be like filled to the brim Mm -hmm. i need to read her others but this one i think it's a great wrap-up to the series i love that it ends with her saying she wants to host games for people to win a fortune like i just think that's a fun way to like tease a new book but even if she didn't write another book like that's a fun cliffhanger to leave readers on because you don't necessarily have to continue the story after that. She's going to, but you don't mm-hmm. have to. It's still like a great ending if you don't. So I have a little side thing. So someone in their book club group chat was asking like for book recommendations that are like thriller mystery and somebody put, I've heard the Inheritance Games is a good series. <laughs> LOL. Shout out to whoever that is in our book club group chat. Who, you know who you are. Who recommended it? It was Carrie Bowen. <laughs> oh, shout out Carrie. Um, put in the group. Funnily enough, Carmen and I are recording an episode of the podcast right now, and we're talking about the Inheritance Games. <laughs> shout out. Um, but yeah, I think it's a great ending to the series. Like I said, you could, she could very well just leave it there, and you can kind of surmise like what's gonna happen, but. I don't know. I just think she did a good job. And I need to read The Brothers Hawthorne. I can't quite figure out what the timeline on it is, though. I don't know, because I think Avery's in it. She is, but she's it's not her point of view. No. It's Grayson's, I think. Somebody told me it's after the final Gambit. Yeah. But it's before the Grandest Games. Mm-hmm. I think it's in that. So, like, it's in that pocket ends one year later. Yeah. And so I think it's in that. In it's between. in that pocket. It's in that pocket. Yeah. Yeah. I, I liked the, I liked the final game. I thought it was a pretty good ending to the trilogy. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, I would say this is probably my favorite, like, thriller mystery series I've read besides A Good Girl's Guide to Murder, which I read the first book for. Um, I just, I think everyone should give this series a try. Like, if you're looking for a good, like, thriller, like, mystery that has puzzles, this series is up your alley. Like, I'm still, I'm trying to convince my mom to read this series. Because I told her, I'm like, you would love it. I said, it's fast-paced. There's, I told her, I was like, there's constantly something happening, so you wouldn't be bored. (laughs) Yeah, my mom read it in a weekend, but she's also a big reader, so. Yeah. Um, alright. Any final words for the Inheritance Games trilogy? No. I think we pretty much covered it. It's very good. I recommend it to anybody. Um, if you're looking for a whodunit with mysteries and puzzles and riddles. Twists. 
Although, if you're listening to this right now and you're hearing us tell you if you like these things, read it. We've already gave you the full synopsis. <laughs> so you already know how Whoops! So. Um, recommend it to your friends. <laughs> That's, if your friends like books like this, then tell them to read The Inheritance Games. <laughs> yep. I think it's a great... I don't read a lot of mysteries, but Mm-mm. I loved this series. So it's. I think it's a good, like, if you don't read a lot of mysteries or if you're looking for a beginner's mystery, maybe. Bigger than. Yeah. 100%. Alright. Well, um, be sure to rate us five stars, sub- subscribe, follow, you know, follow us on our social medias, which are linked down below. Our individual social medias are also linked down below, so be sure to follow us on those as well. Um, and yeah, let us know your thoughts on the Inheritance Games trilogy. Um, also, let us know if you guys would like to see these book reviews done a little bit differently. I know we kind of rushed through them, and so they could probably be structured a little bit better. Um... So let us know if there's something like you're wanting different out of it, or if you want more out of it, less out of it, whatever. Um, and next week we are doing our November wrap up, which should be interesting because I need to get a lot of books done before we do. Yeah, that. I got I got to get on the ball. Listen, I've been so consumed with Iron Flame, I'm like I got to get on the ball. <laughs> um, I've already got six books done this month. Dear Jesus. But I'm supposed to have. I w- my goal was to have, if I have 10 books done this month, I have to have 11 done next month. Or, <laughs> or vice versa. Well, so I've got to get this month it. has been, this month has been kind I've been trying to, I'm on like the downhill slope for my fall semester. I finished stats early. Um, I passed my stats final. I, that's all I'll say on that. <laughs> um, well, I'm trying to reach my reading goal. And in order to do that, I've got to read 10 books one month and 11 books the next. But we do have Thanksgiving break. Yes. This week, too. So. I'll get a lot of reading done. Tomorrow, I'm hoping to, well, I'm going to read that beta read. And then I need to listen to a good chunk of Harry Potter. Because I'd like to, audiobooks are my like key there because I can get through those so quickly. So if I can finish Half Blood Prince tomorrow or Thursday, then that's one more book closer to my goal. <laughs> I'm cleaning my bookshelves tomorrow. If you want to come up and help, and we can put on Harry Potter now. Oh yeah, work. Oh yeah, crap. Right. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, I wish I could say yes <laughs> because my dad's off tomorrow. I thought about it because nobody's gonna be at work tomorrow. Yeah. But it's just kind of like if I use the day tomorrow, when it comes later, am I gonna regret not just going into work and saving that day? Because right now I have eight days I get to roll over to next year. So that's a whole extra week of vacation that I get to roll over. And so, like, just the more of that I can roll. That's a whole extra week off of work plus a long weekend. Because it's only five days off of work, so an extra three for a long weekend if I wanted to. So that's, like, four whole it's weeks. A tempti- it's a tempting offer. Yes. So I just, I don't want to do it. Especially because I want to go to California and see Chase. So. <laughs> and hopefully a convention. Long weekend convention. Yeah. To go see Supernatural or... Hallie needs a different job. <laughs> Wolf or when that happens. Somebody. Somebody call 911. I don't know why that popped into my head. Um, anyways. <laughs> during our November wrap-ups next week. So be there or be square. And we will see you guys in the next one. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye.